Welcome back to Mark's Madness. We're a little late. We're, we're, <laughs> no, we're fine. We're coming at it again. We're doing it. Um, and since we just recorded a, a, a sort of little bonus one-off 30-minute mm-hmm. episode, we're just going to yes. jump right into this damn book okay. for y'all. This is Mark's Madness. We read damn books. Um, Johnson, we're starting uh, on page 252, uh, one paragraph down the page. Johnson took over Lincoln's cabinet with an anti-abolitionist Whig, a pro-slavery Democrat, and a liberal student of industry, among others. This cabinet lasted a little over a year. Oh, this this team of rivals. Oh, <laughs> you've all heard of it. Uh, this cabinet lasted a little over a year when in early July 1866, three members, Denison, Harlan, and Speed, resigned. <laughs> Holy shit. Denison Harlan in 1996 action Keanu Reeves vehicle speed. <laughs> I have no idea if it was in 96. I'm, it sounds right. The bomb is on the bus. Don't slow it on a bus. In all their logical sequence, the reconstruction policies now associated with Johnson's name were laid down by Seward. You remember him from the from the Lincoln movie. He's the, the mm-hmm. stuck up one that's kind of obnoxious from time to time. But he's there. He bought Alaska. And his logic overwhelmed Johnson. As Stevens explained, Seward entered into him, and ever since they have been running down a steep running down steep places into the sea. The cabinet met at Seward's house May 9th, and on May 29th, Johnson issued a proclamation of amnesty, which showed the Seward influence. Indeed, nothing was left, apparently, of Johnson's liberalism, except the exclusion from amnesty, not simply of the leaders of the Confederacy, but of the rich. Those worth 20,000 or more. Okay, Seward, you can go Ooh. get fucked. Yeah, I mean, we're really getting into the, this is, this is state rep stuff, right? Yeah. Who is, who is the government represent? Well, those worth $20,000 or more. Okay, I think we need to also, I'll need to contain my terms here. Um, Seward opposed this, but it was the only thing he yielded to Johnson's liberalism. So Seward opposed amnesty for the rich, but he, Johnson was the liberal and he wanted to give it to the rich. So what is Seward a radical in that instance? What's our definitionary? Hmm. What are we working on definition? Why? Cause I, I Maybe, hear liberal. Because again, yeah, I mean, liberal, you do have to realize liberal is, is philosophically, you know, in support of capitalism, right? Cause you're only, you're not a capitalist if you believe in capitalism. You're capitalist right. if you own capital. You're a liberal if you believe in, in capitalism. So we're used to it meaning some sort of left, some sort of social justice um, yes. desire, even though that's obviously a, a load of crap when you understand what, what capitalism is. Um, but Du Bois is someone that's going to have a material understanding and be able to use it as meaning a proponent of capital. It just we have seen him. I think it was only once or twice, but we've seen him earlier in the book use the term liberal for supports capitalism, but still left leaning. Yeah. Yeah. So it's again, let's just keep re- let, let, let's do the thing we do where we we let we Dr. let the boys tell us. us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he early convinced Johnson that reconstruction was a matter for the president to settle. And especially he opened the door to this through conversation when the power of further pardons was put into Johnson's hands. Seward, who had remained secretary after Lincoln's death, had used all the powers of his persuasive eloquence to satisfy President Johnson that all now to be done was simply to restore the union by at once readmitting the states lately in rebellion to their full constitutional functions as regular states of the union. That is uh, the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's not how you (laughs) settle civil wars. Uh Uh-uh. You don't do treason and then just get a whoops-a-doodle, we're back in. Doesn't work that way. (laughs) Can I get a mulligan on that? Yeah, that's insanity. And that then, being encouraged by this mark of confidence, the late master class in the South could be trusted with recognition and protection of the emancipated slaves. Never mind, I thought I had just read the dumbest thing ever. (laughs) Turns out I needed to wait a couple more words. Holy (laughs) shit snacks. Holy fuck. What the hell? What the hell? You know, you know who we can trust the security of emancipated slaves. Their owners, their owners, owners, the people that treated them like property for their entire natural born lives. And for 300 years prior, we have sore asses from losing them as slaves. Yes, this will be fine. Mm-hmm. That, Mr. Stewart urged, such advice upon the president, there is good reason for believing. Not only was it common report, but he 
uh, but it accorded also strikingly with Stu- Mr. Stewart's single turn of mind concerning the slavery question. As that seems the, like a bad turn of mind. No, no, but that seems to be the case the whole time through. It, again, yeah. that, the Lincoln, the Linko movie did a good job of that. Seward gave no fucks about slavery. Seward wanted the goddamn war over. That is all Seward wanted. Period. End of story. He wanted that war over. He could give zero fucks about slavery. Um, yeah. he, he was the worst parts of Lincoln incarnate. Um, yeah. it, it's bad. As after the outbreak of the secession movement, he preemptorily relegated the slavery question to the background in spite of its evident importance in the Civil War and of the influence it would inevitably exercise upon the opinion and attitude of foreign nations. So he may have been forgetful of the national duty of honor to secure the rights of the freedmen and the safety of the Southern Union men in his impatient desire to restore the Union in point of form. David. Okay. I know. Johnson Johnson was transformed. This exciting transformation. Transubstantiation. <laughs> From the, the champion of peasant labor, he Woo! saw himself as the restorer of national unity. Hey, that sounds like a political party we're familiar with. That's just Oh my god. Oh my god. And the benefactor They're literally and- Hold on. No, hold on. Because they're about to not prosecute anyone that tried to do some borderline fascist shit and be more focused on unifying the country and bringing everyone mm-hmm. together and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, we're doing this all again right we're now. We're doing in the real same time. shit. I'm not saying that Trump and his bullshit is as bad as the slave owners. Trust me, I'm not that bereft of like depth of analysis, but mm-hmm. it's the same song and dance. Holy oh, yeah. shit. Like, like oh, yeah. the, there may be, there, this may be a remix. Like there may be new beats added in and like more depth to it, but this yeah. is all the same shit. Holy no, that's what God. all the polarization talk has been about. They wanted to pretend that there essentially was, they want to put us in post civil war mo- mode. Um, because post civil war mode, what did we get before? Oh, well, don't solve the problems. Everyone just got focus pardoned. On unity. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets pardoned. Just focus on unity. And you, I mean, you better believe all, all the creators of like the crime bills and the Iraq wars and stuff. They love, they love having that shit papered over. It's unity time, baby. Unity, unity time. What? what do you think? We're going to get another um, team. We're going to get another. This is going to be hilarious because it's going to be the flipped instead of the Republicans with Lincoln having their team of rivals. It'll be the Democrats and Biden with his team of rivals because he's going to put nothing but Republicans in his goddamn thing. Oh, oh they're yeah. about to announce Treasury Secretary, and I'm so excited. I'm oh, so excited. Oh. I'm just wondering which post John Kasich will actually get. That's I, that's mine. Mm, tre- yeah, They're, they announced that whoever the Treasury Secretary is will appease all parts of the Democratic Party. And I'm like, oh, mm. no, you mm. won't. <laughs> no, you won't. Good sir. Well, you're a, you're to a be fucking fair, liar. To be fair, I'm not part of the Democratic Party. No, 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 no. Neither am I. And I still can guarantee you that you're oh, not yeah. going to put someone forward that that you're telling no. me you're going to put someone forward that even AOC and Joe Manchin are both going to go thumbs up. Fuck yeah, off. No. Not in a million years. Not in a million years. Uh, where was I in the re- Oh, yes, yes. And the benefactor and almsgiver to those very elements in the South which had formerly despised him. Oh, he gets to be the almsgiver to the Confederates. Of his real role as emancipator and the one who was to give effective freedom to Negroes, he still had not the slightest idea. <laughs> yep, sounds right. <laughs> he could not conceive of Negroes as men. And oh, equally... Good. He had no adequate idea of the industrial transformation that was going on in the North. He, he didn't know it was going on under his nose. That's an exciting, just an extra little added benefit to being a racist asshole. Didn't, didn't like, didn't like black people. It had no idea what was happening in the place he lived in. Uh, yes. Yep, that sounds about right. Um, there were, of course, the inevitable scars of the war, the loss of a million men and $12 billion in property, eventual pensions and indirect losses, the revolution in Southern agriculture, the universal lowering of ethical standards, which always follows a war. That's that is exciting. important to remember. Yeah. Every time you have a war, you lower your ethical standards. And mm-hmm. there's a good thing about being in a forever war as we've been in. You just get to keep pushing them down forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Push the oh, that bar. Was, that was the fun thing. It, it, what's her name? Uh, oh, who's the who's the Democrat super hawk? Who's who's a uh, an injured veteran? Um, Duckworth. Uh, Tammy Duckworth. Tammy Duckworth. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and she was way pissed. How could you pull them out prematurely? It's like it's been nineteen. 
fucking years that we want to bring was able to vote this election the we war to be- was able to vote we want to bring them home but not in body bags well tammy a great way to ensure they're not in body bags is if they're not fucking in a place where people are killing them all the time that'd be a great way to do it <laughs> now fine with them killing them all the time good good on it the brave yeah. bunch of need fighters are at it again but uh th- th- i mean look don't get me wrong the victims of this and that's a problem they set, they always center the soldiers and the victims and the victims are not the soldiers but let's even let's even hand you that let's give you the soldier victims you know how to not make soldier victims don't make soldiers <laughs> done i've solved your wow. problem and they've been Cut banging the same they've been banging the same drunk for 15 years i mean they sure as hell have they 15 sure fucking have. years since the original surge they've been banging this drum that there mm-hmm. is no way to get out you have to it's like you'd think eventually it would get old but no, yeah no, not. i mean they're bullshit artists and people don't have any memory um mm-hmm. The West was uneasy on account of taxes, debt, and the money situation. In New York and Boston, men engaged in foreign commerce wanted speedy restoration in the South and a reduction in the tariff and increase their business. These complicated threads varied and changed as time went on. But when the 39th Congress met, the war business boom was still on. Failures had disappeared. Prices had increased. Wealth was being concentrated among the manufacturers, merchants, financiers, and speculators. Always a good sign. There were great amounts of waiting capital and all these interests wanted the war stopped and the South restored. The greedy people didn't care about humanity. They wanted their shit. Line go up. (laughs) Sumner had not left Washington 10 days before his hopes for just reconstruction on the basis of Negro suffrage were killed by the president's proclamation. Johnson's plan of reconstruction included the abolition of slavery, the repudiation of war debts, the nullification of secession ordinances, and the appointment of provisional governors to help in reconstruction of civil government. Only those white folks who could take the loyal oath would take part in this reconstruction. In other words, this was practically Lincoln's plan, and it was also the Wade Davis plan, save that there was no open or express recognition of any power or function of Congress except as judging the legality of elections. Johnson did not e- did not eventually even admit, as Lincoln apparently had agreed, that Congress was final judge as to whether these states could hold legal election. Jesus Christ. It's just so bad. Congress had adjourned before Lee's surrender, and it was widely believed that Lincoln had lived that had Lincoln lived. Oh, that had Lincoln lived, a special session would have been summoned. The Seward Johnson <laughs> compromise. Wait a minute. You're telling me that in the middle of the Civil War, these guys just like deuced out like, all right, guys, we got to take a vacay. Hey, uh, we were just talking about the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I'm just we about to say, middle- we're in the middle of a pandemic and they just resign- they've done like four different vacations in the middle of a national pandemic yes. of a global pandemic. They're going pandemic. on another run right now. It's they huddled back I, together like, oh, we do got to solve this. There yeah, is never a, mind. The answer of what would get them to not go on vacation back to their mansions is nothing. Yeah. Nothing would. No, exactly what happened is is they were on vacation and they heard uh, Schumer heard something about demands for student debt relief and started saying $50,000 and everyone, oh, shit, huddle up. We got to make this ten grand for private loans. Hang on. Kamala's got a fist pump uh, Lindsey Graham on the Senate yes. floor to make sure that everyone yes. understands that yes. we're all on the same team. Yes. Uh, the Seward-Johnson compromise proposed not to call Congress. The, in one way, the decision was shrewd. It gave the admission uh, – the administration nine months to carry out its policy. Nine, nine months. fucking months. Nine Jesus Christ. fucking months. And if the policy was successful, Congress would, when it met, be faced by a fiat accompli, a nation at peace, a South restored with slavery abolished. What more could the nation want? Never answer is, oh, here we go. On the other hand. (laughs) I was about to say, don't you get ahead of yourself. (laughs) The attempt was full of risk. You don't fucking say. Yep. Already, the power of the executive had gone far beyond the dreams of living men. It must be curbed sooner or later. The military dictatorship, which had carried on this war, must, as soon as possible after the war, be tempered by democracy. The attempt to do even what the nation wanted without this was foolish. An attempt to override the will of the nation was suicidal, and yet was precisely what Seward and Johnson eventually attempted. 
May 29th, the Declaration of Amnesty was issued, and that same month, provisional governors were appointed for North Carolina and Mississippi. In June, Georgia, Texas, Alabama, and South Carolina were given governors, and in July, Florida. Thus, three months after the assassination of Lincoln, Reconstruction was in operation, the Union Party divided in opinion, the Northern Democrats encouraged, and the South particularly encouraged. Johnson, you fucking asshole. The South, thereupon, turned its attention on Johnson and brought to bear a second influence next in power to Seward's and in the end exceeding it. Southern leaders descended upon the president, not simply the former slave barons, but new representatives of the poor whites. In less than nine months after the proclamation of amnesty, 14,000 prominent persons are said to have received pardons from the president. No wonder the attitude of Johnson towards the South and its leaders of the rebellion was transformed. The very inferiority complex which made him hate the white planter concealed a secret admiration for his arrogance and address. There you go. Petty bourgeois desperately wants to be part of the ruling class, isn't, and that inferiority complex drives him to do everything he can to get on their good side. The defenders of the petty bourgeois. There you are. Yes. Now we get Carl a recurring Sh- character, though. Now we get a recurring character. I hate myself. Carl Schurz was coldly received when he returned from the Southern trip, which Johnson had urged upon him. Arrived at Washington, I reported myself at once to the White House. The president's private secretary, who seemed surprised to see me, announced to me that the president, who sent out word that he was busy, when would it please the president to receive me? The private secretary could not tell, as the president's time was much occupied by urgent business. I left the anteroom, but called again the next morning. The president was still busy. I asked the private secretary to submit to the president that I had returned from a three-month's journey made at the president's personal request, that I thought it was my duty, respectively, to report myself back, and that I should be obliged obliged to the president if he would let me know whether and if so when he would receive me to that end. The private secretary went in again and brought out the answer that the president would see me in an hour or so, and at that appointed time, I was admitted. That was a very long paragraph to say, I waited a while to see the president. Yeah, we'll get back to you you in five to seven business days. Fuck you, sure. The president received me without a smile of welcome. His his mind was sullen. I said that I had returned from the journey, which I had made in obedience to his demand and was ready to give him in addition to the communications. I had already sent him such further information as was in my possession. A moment's silence followed. Then he inquired about my health. I thanked him for the inquiry and hoped the president's health was good. Oh, my God, sure. He said it was. Another pause. Are you just transcribing at this point? He asked me about the weather. I said it was sunny. This is fucking not. I sniffled. He sniffled. Another pause, which I brought to an end by saying that I wished to supplement the letters I had written to him from the South with an elaborate report giving my experiences and conclusions in a connected shape. The president looked up and said that I need not go to the trouble of writing out such a general report on his account. I'm siding with Johnson here. This wordy motherfucker does not need to write me another goddamn report. If every one of his letters about his time in the South was, I awoke. It was sunny. I yawned. I went. I, this I, I is had a what breakfast. happened to Reconstruction. God fucking damn it, Shurs. God damn it. I replied that it would be no trouble at all. Oh, I'm sure it wouldn't, but I considered it a duty. The president did not answer. The silence became awkward and I bowed myself out. <laughs> Shurs, you cock. <laughs> well, Nathan Cut tries that to out breathe. Of the episode. I don't care. <laughs> well, Nathan tries to breathe. Uh, oh. President Johnson evidently wished to suppress my testimony as to the condition of things in the South. I no, resolved he just not- doesn't like you talking so much, you wordy motherfucker. <laughs> I resolved not to let him do so. I had conscientiously endeavored to see Southern conditions as they were. I had not permitted any political considerations or any preconceived no- opinions on my part to obscure my perception and discernment in the slightest degree. I had told the truth as I learned it and understood it and the severest accuracy. And I thought it because you told every fucking breath. Of course it's accurate. <laughs> you report back on your time in the South like we read books word for fucking word. <laughs> and I thought it due to the country that the truth be known. Among my friends in Washington, there were different opinions as to h- how striking a change in President Johnson's attitude had been brought about. Some told me that during the summer, the White House had been fairly besieged by Southern men and women of high social standing who had told the president that the only element of trouble in the South consisted in a lot of fanatical abolitionists who excited the Negroes with all sorts of dangerous notions and that all would be 
would be well if he would only restore the southern state governments as quickly as possible, according to his own plan as laid down in North Carolina proclamation, and that he was a great man to whom they looked up as their savior. That is a terrible, horrible thing to hear about. That is the worst. That is the worst. Literally, you just got bombarded by the worst elements of the South who all said the only problem is black people want to be free. If you just let us back in and don't let that happen, everything will be fine. This is absolutely uh did you learn nothing about what the war we just fought was over no Mm -hmm. okay cool Mm -hmm. move on yep now it was thought that mr johnson the plebeian who before the war had been treated with undisguised contempt by the slaveholding aristocracy could not withstand the subtle flattery Mm -hmm. of the same aristocracy when they flocked around him as huddle suppliants coholding his vanity so, this is everyone at work who gets mm-hmm. lovey-dovey and in and good with the boss. Yes. Every worker who's in with the manager and can therefore fuck off and well, not do anything the entire time they're there because the manager plays to their ego. And again, and this is why this is why even in our organizing, we want committed abolition or com- not just committed abolition. We're talking about prison abolition, of course, too. Um, and my brain was just on the slavery abolition from the, the, the book. Um, but committed revolutionaries right we want committed revolutionaries that the the people that are in there right like the barack obama red theory just to pick up chicks not only is that toxic and harmful and and horrible and a disgusting misogynistic you know chaser rape culture situation that can harm a lot of your comrades uh, but also they're not worth defending as revolutionaries because they'll turn as soon as the second they get adoration from from some other source right if they're going to turn because you treated them mean then they were going to turn anyway and that's the same fucking way johnson is all it all it took is is some nice words and all of a sudden he wasn't the everyman he wasn't the big you know republican standing alongside lincoln he was he was just ready right to cow to the aristocrats look at no everyone problem. that gets look at everyone that gets big everyone that starts on the left mm-hmm. is some tiny little project and then gets big look at look at the young turks or whatever you want to call it look at sink yeah. or any of these people that that it just a little it just takes a little bit mm-hmm. and it's gone it's out yeah. the window the second and that's we- and that's where, you know, people that stay principled that, you know, you have all that more, much more adoration for, but they get pegged right back down off, off their platform. You gotta come up with higher. a better word. You gotta come up with a better word. <laughs> there has to be another one. <laughs> okay. get, I'm buying you a thesaurus for Christmas. There has to be another one. <laughs> God. I'm just going to use synonyms for ass fucking now. You know that. That's right? fine. I'm fine. I support it. I'm here for it. But it just can't. The way you use it in context is jarring sometimes. Andrew Johnson got pegged as a whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. That compromise was a little more compromising than I thought. All right. In fact, personally, Johnson liked the slaveholders, he admired their manners. <laughs> He enjoyed their carriage and clothes. What the fuck? <laughs> they were quite naturally his ideal of what a gentleman should be. Oh he should God. not help being tremendously flattered when they noticed him and actually sw- sued his- for his favor. Sued for his favor. Yeah. Would you like okay. sue for attention? Yeah. Okay. As compared with Northerners, he found them free, natural, and expansive, rather than cold, formal, and hypocritical. Nothing hypocritical about the slave owners. No, they're Mm -hmm. they're fine. Not one bit. They are Um, very open and honest about the fact that they want to own human beings as property. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Johnson's change of mind during the last 10 days of May 1865 was probably due to the flatteries of Southern leaders, to the notice taken of his intoxication in the Senate by Sumner and others, to the councils of Preston King and the Blairs who sheltered him after that unfortunate exhibition, and above all to Seward. Johnson's program swung swiftly into its stride. So again, a guy that could not give a shit less about slavery and just wanted country together back to normal now quote-unquote unity guy bullshit was best buddy in the ear of johnson as he was drunk off his ass and the people that he pretended to hate for his whole career but actually loved were kissing his ass as long as he stopped this like you know freedmen uh reconstruction shit yeah i mean of course you know it, it, the thing is it's above johnson i mean the system was gonna come back down because you've got to smash the system and unfortunately this was a situation that led to an opportunity that was far hot that was hard fought for freedom 
um, by the black slaves and by the black free men. Um, but it was not a situation that lended to completely smashing the government. And unless you're completely smashing that uh, settler colonial structure, it's just going to reproduce itself. But it's just made so much worse because Johnson is such a piece of shit that it just it happened so explicitly and so quickly. It's horrible. Um, already May 9th, the laws of the United States have been put in operation in Virginia and the Alexandria government thus recognized. Uh, Johnson recognized the reconstruction already accomplished in Louisiana, Arkansas, and Tennessee, so that by midsummer, all the seceded states that had been reconstructed under Johnson's plan except Texas. During the autumn, summer, and winter of 1865, elections for delegates to constitutional conventions were ordered in Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida on the basis of white suffrage. (laughs) 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 Gotta love that white suffrage. Mm-hmm. Mm, that good old white su- which we've of course learned just basically means everyone gets the vote in this state except black people yeah 100%. that's what that translates to yeah yep um before congress met these conventions had all passed ordinances repealing the secession ordinances and pronouncing them null and void all except mississippi and south carolina had repudiated the confederate debt all had amended their constitutions, abolishing slavery or recognizing its disappearance. State officers and representatives in Congress had been elected. Senators had also been chosen, except in Florida. All the states had adopted the 13th Amendment, except Florida and Mississippi. Florida's really picking a bone here. Yeah. North Carolina had adopted the amendment with reservations. Florida adopted the amendment with reservations December 18th and elected senators. Oh, they finally came around. There they are. Uh, <laughs> we got them. We got a boys uh, against this suddenly marshaled and quickly executed plan of Johnson and his advisors. There was at the time no organized opposition. Congress was unquestionably determined to have the last word in the matter, but not decided as to what the word would be. Oh, that's exciting. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> The abolitionists wanted the freedom of the slaves guaranteed, and some of them saw Negro suffrage as the only method of accomplishing it. While still fewer recognized that a minimum of land and capital was absolutely necessary to make the ballot effective. The majority of Northerners simply wanted to get rid of the question as quickly as possible. They were disposed to agree in the main with that Johnson, but they were afraid that he was moving too fast and that the South was returning to the Union without guarantees. Even so, either so far as the freedmen were concerned or with regard to the problem of debt, the tariff and the national finance. Charles Sumner, our good boys back, representing Sumner! the we're representing. Steady. I don't know. I, I miss Thaddy Daddy so much. He's got to be dead by now because there's no way no! He, he had to suffer through this. Um, don't, don't put that. Don't Charles, put that on me. Charles Sumner, representing the abolition democracy, agitated the question all summer. He brought up the matter on streets, at dinner, and in society. I just love the concept <laughs> at, on the street. Just Charles Sumner doing town crier shit, just standing <laughs> on the corner, just going off, just doing his. He's got a megaphone and a mixtape, and he's just laying it down. Get it, Chucky. <laughs> he wrote his views for the Atlantic Monthly and had it and his speeches distributed widely. Widely. On June 21st, 1865, there was a public meeting in Philadelphia on Negro suffrage at which reporters were read of reaction in the South. Sumner wrote to members of Johnson's cabinet and urged them to change their course of action and not follow the advice of Seward. But although four members of the cabinet were sympathetic, they took no action, and Sumner wrote to Lieber on August 11th. They were all courtiers as if they were counselors of the king. Oh, God. I just can't. I can't stand any of these people. Yeah. Uh, Stevens, who I can only assume is two-time Daytona champion Jeff Davis. Yeah! And Wade. <laughs> Wait, why, <laughs> would, why would Steve... Huh? Stevens Davis know. and Wade. Okay. I, got, I thought you said, you said Stevens and then who I can only assume is. And I thought you meant Stevens was somehow like, like maybe no. uh, Jefferson Davis changed his name to Stevens to try and go undercover and maybe people no. wouldn't know. No, no, no. But Stevens, I'm assuming, is uh Let me check if that is that daddy. Hold on. It has to be the Thad Daddy. Stevens Davis Wade. It has to be Thaddy Daddy. Now I'm putting looking these three up together and see what they did. No, it's just finding a person named Stevens Wade. 
Okay, so that doesn't help me. Um, but anyway, Stevens, two-time Daytona 500 champion Jeff Davis and Wade were in despair against an executive who had both military power and the power of patronage and was yet unmoved by any unity of opinion in the North. Moreover, it did not seem wise to make as yet a fight on the basis of Negro suffrage. It's not Actually, Jefferson not, Davis. It's, it's not, not Jefferson Davis. It's the, way, it's, an the, it's, the Davis, Davis. it's the Davis from the Wade Davis bill. Um, but oh, it's not. This is not. Okay. This is not Davis. Okay. 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 Moreover, it did not seem wise to make as yet a fight on the basis of Negro suffrage. Too few Northern people agreed with it. Most public men and journalists gave no support to Sumner's demand for Negro suffrage. The governor of Indiana denounced it. The governor of Massachusetts was sure of the president's honesty of purpose. The editor of New York Evening Post advised against any course of action by Congress in the matter of suffrage. And the New York Times stood absolutely against it. The New York Times never, ever, ever fucking changes. Fuck they, them. They, if there is one consistent um, consistent trend, it is the New York Times will be on the wrong side of an opinion. It is yeah. like it is like the small, it's like the odd lot theory of stock trading, which is the real theory that if a, the general population wants to do something, you should do mm-hmm. the exact opposite of it. Um, there's a whole lot of... Uh, there's a whole lot of theory that goes into that. And this is the same thing. If the New York Times says something is a good idea, you should best assume it is the wrong idea at the wrong time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there no way to arrest the insane course of the president in reorganization, asked Stevens in the summer of 1865? If something is not done, wrote Sumner, the president will be crowned king before Congress meets. Oh, God. Always, always, always. The abolitionists opened a campaign to convert the North to Negro suffrage, carrying on a propaganda with the money of industry and the logic of abolition democracy. The speeches of Sumner, Kelly, Phillips, and Douglas on Negro suffrage were printed and set and sent broadcast. Stearns wrote, I am distributing 10,000 copies to anti-slavery men in all the free states, but desiring to increase the number to 100,000 or more, invite you to aid in its circulation. He raised $50,000 in the fall of 1865 to send out 100,000 newspapers and 50,000 pamphlets a week and himself printed between 20,000 and 40,000 copies of uh, Sumner's Worcester speech, October 12th, 1865. Later, the Schur's report. Oh, God. The Schur's report (laughs) would put any printing press out of business. You would run out of ink. (laughs) And his newspaper articles formed a strong document, strong and long rhyme. Strong so I think that's code because there's so much of it together that you could whack <laughs> someone over the head and kill them. You I mean, it's cut through it. It's too thick. No, not um, at all. Um, yet the conversion of public opinion in the United States to Negro citizenship and suffrage was long and difficult. You don't say there were harassing <laughs> questions that presented themselves to the majority of people in the North. Could a government by united and determined effort raise the Negroes to full American citizenship? Of course it could if they were men, but were they men? Even if they were men, was it good policy thus to raise a great new working voting class on this point? There was less open agreement, but it, or less open argument, apologies, but it lay in the minds of businessmen and influenced their outlook and action. You always love what influences the businessman. Mm-hmm, yes. Johnson sensed the trend toward Negro suffrage and taking a leaf from Lincoln's book sought to stem it. But Johnson's mind was not like Lincoln's. Lincoln moved forward to Negro suffrage. Johnson, alarmed, retreated to it. August 15th, he had wired to his nominee, Sharkey, provisional governor of Mississippi. If you can extend the elective franchise to all persons of color who could read the Constitution of the United States in English and write their names, and to all persons of color who own real estate valued at not less than $250, why are those two different? Um... That wait, huh? If you can if you can extend elective franchise to all persons of color who could read the Constitution, okay, um, and, and, and to all own. persons of color, okay. So you, if you can't read but you own a house, if you own property, you're cool, okay. Yeah. And pay taxes thereupon. Well, that's important. Yeah, of course. You would completely disarm the adversary and set an example that other states will follow. This you could do with perfect safety and thus place the Southern states in reference to free persons of color upon the same basis with the free states. I hope and trust your con- your convention will do this, and as a consequence, the radicals who are wild upon Negro franchise will be completely foiled in their attempt to keep the southern states from renewing the relations to the Union by not accepting their senators and representatives. Blaine says that this advice was sent to other provisional governors, but nothing came of it. 
chiefly because Johnson did not insist and his heart was not in the suggestion. Sumner's words showed that the union between Northern industrialists and abolition democracy had been growing during the summer. After the autumn election, Sumner sent a long telegram to President Johnson. On the Sunday evening before Congress met, he was with him two hours. He found him changed in temper and purpose, no longer sympathetic or even kindly, but harsh, but petulant and unreasonable. Near the end of the interview, there was a colloquially, there was a colloquy, I don't know, in which the president reminded the senator of murders in Massachusetts and assaults in Boston as an offset to outrages in the South visited upon Negroes and white union men. Under the inspiration of political or racial animosity, the two parted the evening not to meet again, the senator leaving with the painful conviction that the president's whole soul was set aflint against the good cause and that by assassination of Abraham Lincoln, the rebellion had been vaunted into the presidential chair. Mm-hmm. Meantime, the Massachusetts Republican Convention approved Negro suffrage as a condition of Reconstruction, and they were followed by Vermont, Iowa, and Minnesota. The other Republican conversations were not explicit. Oh, the other Republican conventions were not explicit. But the conviction grew in the North that state governments in the South, which would curb the political fervor or political power of ex-Confederates and ensure the freedom of Negroes, could not be established without Negro suffrage. Sumner led in spreading this opinion, stressing naturally the rights of Negroes. He wrote to Mr. Bright on November 14th, uh, November 14th. The president's experiment appears to be breaking down, but at what fearful cost? The rebels have once more been put on their legs. The freedmen and the unionists are down. This is very sad. I cannot be otherwise than, I, than unhappy as I think of it. Our session is uncertain. Nobody can tell certainly what pressure the president will bring to bear on Congress and how Congress can stand it. I think that Congress will insist upon time. This will be our first demand and then generally upon adequate guarantees. There are unpleasant stories from Washington, but we must persevere to the end. Yeah, so I'm glad they're like, look, we, we've got to keep fighting. But I did, the first thing we, we need is time. Just slow down. <laughs> I don't know if that's more troubling that that was their attitude or more troubling that that's kind of what Johnson drew them to demand by being an asshole. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he did slip that shit in when they went on their nine-month vacation. Nine <laughs> fucking month vacation. Nine months. That is very similar to how Missouri's legislature works na- legislature works now. Where you basically work one semester and then the rest yeah. of the year you're out of session. Um, it, it's the whole part time legislature and then you go home and do your job, whatever. Um, now again, imagine any job that you could take four or five months off from and then come back and just keep doing like normal. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good yeah, system. No, none of those assholes have other jobs. No. That's <laughs> good. Not kidding. No, 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 no. In October, Johnson began openly to argue against Negro suffrage. Well, why wouldn't he? In an interview with George L. Stearns of Massachusetts, he reminded him that the Negroes, uh, that the The Negro Negro suffrage could not have been argued in the North seven years before and that the South must have time to understand its new position. If I interfered with the vote in the rebel states to dictate that no Negro shall vote, I might do the same for my own purpose in Pennsylvania. Our only safety lies in allowing each state to control the right of voting by its own laws. And we have the power to control the rebel states if they go wrong. Really? Nathan, states, rights? states rights really yeah <laughs> you, the guy who won the war against states rights is arguing states rights mm-hmm. yeah this is fucking insanity my position here is no different than is different from what it would have been if i were in tennessee there i should try to introduce negro suffrage gradually first those who had served in the army those who could read and write and perhaps a property qualification for others say 200 or 250 it would not do to let the negroes have universal suffrage now it would breed a war of races why why any reason you're just assuming if they're rich, they won't want to kill white people. Um, I mean, that's a weird assumption yeah. to make, but fine. Yeah. He went on to develop this thesis. Uh, thesis is a strong word for this poop that's coming <laughs> out of his mouth, which was a favorite one with him that Negroes and poor whites naturally hated each other and that the outrages in the South were chiefly of poor whites on Negroes and Negroes on poor whites. And if suffrage were given to the Negroes, he would vote with the master. Oh my God. <laughs> and thus precipitate a race war in the South. That there was truth in this fear, the subsequent history of Reconstruction proved, but it did not turn out as Andrew Johnson anticipated. 
Johnson had little knowledge of Negroes. Although he had owned a few slaves, he accepted most of the current Southern patterns. He believed that the Negroes were lazy and could not survive freedom. He was afraid that he might be tempted to lawlessness and insurrection. He spoke to certain colored folk, May 11th, 1865, according to the Philadelphia Press of May 20th, and stated that he had to deplore the existence of an idea among them that they have nothing to do but to fall back upon the government for support in order that they may be taken care of in idleness and debauchery. October 10th, 1865, he talked to the first colored regiment of the District of Columbia troops who had recently returned from the South. He congratulated them on serving with patience and endurance and exhorted them to be tranquil and peaceful now that the war was ended. Not to cut you off before a quote. Don't cut me off. This is like current racism bullshit right there, right? Oh, yeah. He was afraid he might be tempted to lawlessness. Like, you might let the criminals run rampant. Like, Joe Biden, Joe Biden will let everybody do crimes. You know, and and then there's there's of course the the idleness and debauchery, right? If if the, they they take government support and they'll just sit around and be lazy mopes and suck off the teat of America, like I mean, it's just it nothing changes, nothing fucking changes with these assholes. That's it's it's ridiculous, and it doesn't again. It just it, you're right, it never changes. Mm-hmm. But into this quote that I'm sure it's very I'm long sure one. is going to be great. I'm sure this isn't going to hurt me psychologically, guys. I'm positive that no harm will come to me at the end of this quote and that I won't want to end the episode in tears. <sighs> Freedom is not a mere idea. Freedom is not simply the principle to live in idleness. There you go. Liberty does not mean merely to resort to the low saloons and other places of disreputable character. Oh, we're starting off great. Freedom and liberty does not mean that people ought to live in licentiousness. Ooh. But liberty means simply to be industrious and to be virtuous and to be upright in all our deals and relations with men. Oh, my God. You must give evidence that you are competent for the rights that the government has guaranteed you. You must earn your rights because they're only a right if you have to earn them. That, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. The institution of slavery is overthrown, but another part remains to be solved. And that is, can four million people, reared as they have been with all the prejudices of whites, can they take their place in the community and be made to work harmoniously and congruously in our system? This is a problem. I'm not being racist. I'm caring about the black people that were subject to the white people. Can they really just be thrown in as human beings? This is a problem to be considered. Are the digestive powers of the American government sufficient enough to receive this element in a new shape and digest it and make it work healthily upon the system that has incorporated it? Or will it give us runny diarrhea that we cannot recover I, from? Andrew I Johnson. Feel like, I feel like the government needs a little more fiber. <laughs> Metamucil, the government stimulus plan we all need. <laughs> he then hinted at colonization of the Negro population. Oh, oh yeah. if it should be so that the two races cannot agree and live in peace and prosperity and the laws of providence require that they should be separated in that event looking to the far distant future and trusting in god that it may never come if it should come providence that works mysteriously but unerringly and certainly will point out the way and the mode and the manner by which these people are to be separated and that they are to be taken to their land of inheritance and promise for such a one is before them Hence, we are making the experiment. You know what? Maybe you should consider that the land that uh, they should occupy is the one they're on here. Maybe you should get the fuck out, Whitey. <laughs> Maybe you should get but, the fuck out. But Nathan, God, God told them it's providence. Did, I, did I you, can't. Did you know? Did you know that segregation is just God's will? Congress met in December 1865 with the determination to control the reconstruction of the Union. And in this, there is no question but that Congress was right. If the nation was going backward to the same status in which it was before the war, it was conceivable that this might be done by executive action. But there were two tremendous changes that made this unthinkable. One was the abolition of slavery, and the other was the new political power which the emancipation of these slaves would confer upon the South. Moreover, there appeared from the South demanding seats at the opening of Congress, the vice president of the Confederacy, four Confederate generals, five Confederate colonels, six Confederate cabinet officers, 58 Confederate congressmen, and a partridge in a motherfucking pear tree, none of whom were able to take the oath of allegiance. You can't even... 
The case of Alex H. Stevens, late vice president of the Confederacy, was especially aggravating. Four months before he had been a prisoner at Fort Warren, pardoned by the president, he waited not a moment to repent and return to Georgia and was elected to the United States Senate and was now asking admission, asking to govern the country he had been trying to destroy. Imagine if Juan Guaido was allowed to walk back into Venezuela right now. You make that allegory. You know what? I I mean, again, there's the, the country they tried to destroy thing, but that's not the analogy I'm drawing. I'm drawing when all the Nazis in West Germany just got to keep their posts. That's what I'm feeling. I, I, okay. 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 Thaddeus Stevens took immediate lead. He called in caucus 20 or 30 of his followers. December 1st, on December 2nd, the Republican caucus met and Stevens submitted his plan. Thad Daddy, take me home. To Here claim, we go. To claim the whole question of Reconstruction as the exclusive business of Congress. That's to number re- one. That's solid. Number that's two. important. That's about as democratic as you're going to do something like this. Yep. Number two. Re- to regard the steps taken by the president as only provisional. Again, you can't rule by fiat. Number three, each house to postpone consideration of the admission of members from southern states. Seems reasonable to not let the traitors in right away. Like it, like it, Thaddy. Number four. And that a joint committee of 15 be appointed to inquire into the condition of the former Confederate states. Let's send a group of people down to see what's going on. That seems like a solid point plan. Not sure. Don't send no. sures. Someone, someone who can summarize. Someone who's succinct. Send me a Hemingway. <laughs> Without waiting even for the reception of the president's message, Stevens proposed in the House a resolution for a joint committee of 15 members of the House and Senate to inquire into the condition of the states which form the so-called Confederate States of America and report whether they or any of them are entitled to be represented in either House of Congress with leave to report at any time by bill or otherwise. And until such report shall have been made and finally acted upon by Congress, no member shall be received into either the House and from any of the so-called Confederate states and all the papers relating to the representation of said states shall be referred to the said committee without debate by vote of 129, 35 with 18 not voting. The rules were suspended and this resolution passed. Yeah, Dad, baby. daddy. Hell yeah, baby. This was the first test of political strength in the new Congress. The Senate did not take up the matter until December 12th. The joint resolution was changed to a concurrent resolution in order to make the approval of the president necessary. The section of the resolution concerning the reception of members and reference of all papers was objected to, and the resolution was so amended so as to direct committee the, to direct the committee to inquire into the condition of the states which form the so-called Confederate States of America and report whether they or any of them are entitled to be represented in either House or Congress with leave to report at any time by bill or otherwise. This amended form the House concurred in, but passed another House resolution to admit no Southern members and refer all resolutions and papers. Eventually, Stevens had his way, and after Johnson's speech of February 22nd, the Senate assented to excluding representatives from the South until both Houses agreed. Basically, they got together and said, fuck Johnson, and I love it. And I love the pettiness, and I appreciate it. And I'm going to say that we take, we have, we have made it, guys. We gave that's you 10 full pages. 10 full pages, and that's ending on a high fucking Ending high on note. a pot. Let's, the fad daddy made one appearance. We asked for him uh, all episode. He came at the end on a white horse uh, to keep the South from being involved. The fuck in. He, that was glorious. Like oh my he God. does. Like he does. Um, that being said, this has been a productive episode of Mark's Madness, a yes. show where we occasionally read book. Yes. Um, I we would did say a lot books, of that. but I'd be lying. Um, <laughs> that be, um, if if you if you take umbrage with anything we said, um, and would like to to yell at us about it, or maybe you you like what we said and you want to just say, "Hey, good on you," and make our day because those always make us smile. Um, you can send those correspondence a number of different ways. One way would be uh, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. We will receive our email there. Um, another way would be to get at us on the Twitter. 
uh, because you all know the hell sites where we all hang out and do our dirty mm-hmm. deeds in the dark. Yep. Um, yep. We are at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Uh, the third way would be to uh, hop on in the Discord and have a real time yell fight with us. Uh, me, David, David's there. You can ping David, but he'll show up. We're getting him more consistently now that he has to use Discord for other reasons, I- but. I make guest appearances here and there. He I, makes guest know. appearances. He's got to keep the cameos fresh. I am the <laughs> constant everyday presence, and he comes in for cameos. I think that's a good way to, to characterize it. It works a cameo. for me. Yeah, it works yeah. for me. Um, uh, then, then you can join the Discord. The link is in our bio. It is a shared Discord between us and Dumb and Awful, as always. Because, uh, you know, just all sorts of people from different backgrounds hang out, talk together. It's a good time. Um, there's a whole separate channel if you want to argue about tendency stuff and theory nonsense. We have a whole channel for it. You just do it all in there. Keep it all contained. Otherwise, play good vibes and play Final Fantasy XIV. It's a good game. Um, that being I said, none of that. <laughs> what? Come on. That being I in, said, I come in for the tendency shit. You come in for the tendency stuff again. It's fine. <laughs> Sometimes we want to talk about cat girls and whatever it is in Final Fantasy XIV. It's, it's good times. I don't know what any of that means, so it's, we're going with d- it. Hell yeah! You don't need to. It's good times. Um, that being said, David, it has been a hot second since we've disclaimed, and it may just be me. Yes. Maybe, maybe they got the disclaimer a week ago, but I would yeah. love to be disclaimed a little bit. I will, I will disclaim you after I, after I mentioned that I need to work umbrage into my personal lexicon because I'm jealous. Oh, it's of a solid, now. it's a solid word. It gets yeah. the job. Yeah. Done. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, anyway, so obviously this podcast started out, we were just kind of, you know, reading a book together and, and recorded and went, what the hell? Let's, let's share this with other people because that's what you do in a reading group. And we're a reading group of two. Um, and since the beginning, uh, something what we wanted to do is we've wanted to bring something that enhances your reading group. So hopefully you're reading these books, uh, in a reading group, political education whatever you want to call it in your organization and your party um, and we can be an enhancement to it we can be complementary uh, to that supplementary group and we can give deeper context and another perspective uh, to that say for that say you know your reading group your political education whatever it may be uh, is reading something shorter or reading something else uh, hopefully we can be your reading group and so you can read the book and then come here and get the discussion and get the further context and get that better input uh, say for that whether it be a book where we read word for word like this and we can be your enhanced ebook or a book that we summarize and we can be your cliff notes whatever we can do to make this theory more accessible to you because we want the theory to get out there to you and always remember this theory means nothing without putting into action it means nothing without praxis and praxis is simply theory and action and if you try to do it without theory it will be rudderless because it's then nothing in action they are not separable they are tied at the hip Amen. That being said, this has been Mark's Madness. Uh, My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.